Like, I obviously am excited about this set because it's cool looking, but I have felt like really unmotivated to do any actual playing with it. But then going through it, I do feel a little more like, okay, I, I do want to play some limited, at least with these cards. We'll see. I think the limited format doesn't even look that good. I think a lot of the theme, so the artifact, I'm going to call them artifact fall and enchantment fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think those are actually good themes. Yeah. And that's why I want to play but, the limited format because I want to do that stuff. But like everything else, like all the modified stuff with the auras and the vehicles and stuff, they're mm-hmm. just not costed appropriately at the right rarities to be like competitive at all. And I haven't read any limited argument articles, so I may be off base here, but just looking at the set and playing a lot of limited, I'm just like, yeah, the, I don't, I hate trap themes. Right. So I agree. You have to be like leaning pretty hard on this artifact fall constellation stuff, which does actually look really good. Yeah. Like I just want to play with the artifact and enchantment stuff and also ninjutsu to some extent. So, Sure. Well, Ninjutsu is just an excellent evergreen mechanic. Yeah, so I there's probably enough for at least a few fun drafts, and we'll see if I'm winning after a few or losing after a few to determine if I like this format. It really depends on your first three rares or so. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I open a Planeswalker, then great format. Yeah, it's excellent. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 231 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. Lee, are you excited for some Kamigawa Neon Dynasty top fives? Uh, I'm very excited for some colors. Other yeah. colors, I... Uh... They're closer to top fours. They're, they're closer to top twos. Yeah, maybe top twos. <laughs> Honestly, for green specifically, spoiler alert, there's not a card I would like kind of be willing to play. Yeah, I I kind of like part of me was just like, can I just put five more blue cards on here for green? Because <laughs> like there's a lot of fun blue cards. See, I had the red card. I think the red cards in this set are just so cool. Yeah, there are some really cool red cards. But I don't know. Blue just has like a lot of little artifact stuff and whatever that there's there's a bunch of cards in this set. I feel like that are not like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely find a place for that. They're just like weird little role player things that maybe something will need them at some point because they do something that nothing else really does. And I, you know, I don't hate that. I really like the approach of this set, like even though it didn't hit in all the colors. I like this form of like balancing they've got going on. Like some of the cool cards, like some of the top cards on my list are just commons that have very niche applications. Yep. And I'm very excited about them. (laughs) And I can go like entire sets without really connecting with any of the cards. So it's nice to see Kamigawa. It's such a big hit rate with me. Yeah. Yeah. My, my top green card is a common that is less due to like, Oh man, there's some like such cool niche actually my top two green cards are commons just because like the splashy green cards just seem so medium and there's a couple of utility things it's like yeah that could do it i 
I actually had too many commons, I think, as my top fives because I swapped some around just so it wouldn't be a common at top <laughs> of every list. I mean, I don't hate that at all. That's, you know, kind of refreshing change from some sets that we've had in the past. Yeah, I wish the commander cards were legal in formats. There's some really cool ones. Like, as long as they're not explicitly calling out commanders on the battlefield or whatever, which they never do, except for, like, once a year. Mm -hmm. The cards are just, like too expensive and bad or very niche or actually kind of cool and should just be in every format the one that turns a creature into a vehicle which is like oh, hilarious because yeah. what is even really the flavor of turning somebody into a car but the one that turns a creature into a vehicle it's funny that it's just like haha look at this very efficient removal spell and there's like no this is just a combo card this is one million percent a combo engine card give your devoted druid haste and it doesn't die to minus one minus one counters or protect your what in a lower powered format you could just protect a creature with a good static ability for removal mm -hmm. forever yeah unless i guess you crew five because you can do that <laughs> That card is very cool, but it actually probably would be like a problem in modern. Uh, that's okay. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Let's make mistakes. I mean, like solitude and fury are legal, right? Like who cares? Did Can... you see there's a tweet by, uh, I don't know his name, but he aggregates all the modern challenges each weekend and posts them. That's how mm -hmm. I keep up on modern deck lists a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, he posted today that one of his friends asked him if he wanted to play like some 1v1 commander for fun and he's like yeah i'm tired of modern we'll do this and his friend's commander was Luris. <laughs> <laughs> i that tweet was great that's awesome <laughs> that's horrible <laughs> Well, I don't know how many of these cards are going to be modern influential. There's a couple in here, though. They happen to have the artifact type mostly, but there's at least a few modern playable cards. I think that's where you're going to hit a lot of deep format hits mm -hmm. is when you care about generic stuff. Like mm -hmm. even some of the enchantment stuff you could play in Pioneer. There's Oridex and that or Historic. Yeah. Well, and, and there's... You know, Fires of Invention, mm -hmm. Enigmatic Incarnation decks in Pioneer that, like, certainly there is potential for some of these sagas in that, but a little less than some of the other sagas because you kind of want to keep your creature saga around. It's it's a weird dynamic, but strange decks like that can get really excited about, like, weird niche enchantments that you wouldn't really think about that just do something that nothing else does. I, I like... I think the set's actually really hard to evaluate, even though we're going to try our best in this mm -hmm. one. Just because a lot of the cards are kind of fiddly and weird that look like they could have application elsewhere. And it'll just be like months before we even kind of hit the impact of these cards. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Should we start getting stuff wrong then? Yeah. Do you want to start? And I'll do yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, so my number five white card is the Wandering Emperor. This is two white white for a three loyalty planeswalker with flash. No planeswalker type because we are not, it is illegal for us to know the wandering, the emperor's name. As long as she entered the battlefield this turn, you may activate her loyalty abilities anytime you could cast an instant. 
plus one, put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature, gains first strike until end of turn. Minus one, create a 2-2 two, two white samurai creature token with vigilance. Minus two, exile target tapped creature, you gain two life. So we talked about this at length last episode. Not an overwhelmingly powerful four mana planeswalker, but it has flash, and that is enough to make it worth considering in a lot of different spots where you maybe couldn't put a planeswalker into your deck. And, you know, you can hold up a counterspell and a planeswalker now, and that's a thing you were never able to do. And here you go. I've actually risen up on this a little bit mm-hmm. since last week. Uh, mostly, I think, because PV had it really high in his estimation. Okay. Like, much, much higher than I do, to be honest. But his argument for all of the modes being very difficult to play around yeah. as this mid-range like kind of trick mm-hmm. that left behind a Planeswalker was really appealing, especially since the, the removal mode is just so good yeah like the the two removal modes because if you have a creature you can first strike them down and then you're you have a four loyalty planeswalker and if mm-hmm. you have to use your you know semi unconditional removal spell you you only have a one loyalty planeswalker but you still right. have a planeswalker right right i i actually have number number three on my list is the wandering emperor that's fair yeah i mean i do think this card is pretty good and may kind of surprise us where it shows up because we're used to planeswalkers now you know what kind of deck you can put a four mana planeswalker into you don't really know what kind of deck you can put a flash four mana planeswalker into though so yeah and mana costs are weird right so who knows like yeah, the, mana co- the difference between an oblivion ring and castaway is that the cycling cast name? out yeah cast out there's so many different cast x yes. cards well, cast out and cast down were two of the most important removal spells in a very short period of time in that format. But but if a card like cast out can see play, then mm-hmm. I think the Wandering Emperor has a chance to slot in that, the similar role. Yeah. I mean, often like having flash is very similar to just like being a mana cheaper for like being able to resolve something or having it have an impact like instants are way better than sorceries generally and i I think this could do a lot Uh, my number four is march of otherworldly light this is x and a white for an instant as an additional cost to cast a spell you may exile any number of white cards from your hand this spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way exile target artifact creature or enchantment with mana value x or less Um, i don't think this is like an incredible card and in particular, the fact that you have to exile white cards in order to, to reduce the cost is like really pain. Like that removes a lot of the flexibility of just like tossing away whatever my worst card is in order to buy a little bit of tempo early in the game. And, and you know, it's either you are play, paying a mana premium to kill something or you're going down on cards to kill something. But there is a certain amount of flexibility here. This does kill Urza Saga for one mana, although you probably are playing four prismatic endings before you're playing any of these but i i could even see this in standard if you have a you know blue white control deck that's very good at getting card advantage in the mid and late game and just needs a removal spell that you can cast early even if you have to spend an extra card to kill something like that's something that you're often happy to do and then it it does solve a lot of different problems exiles artifact creature or enchantment so i think this is an okay removal spell i i do think it's really really good against uh, urza saga because mm-hmm. it does the thing that prismatic vista can't it even does it way better because you can 
uh, when they play the Urza Saga and they put the first counter on it, before they can even tap it for mana, you can just kill it. Right, right. Uh, but I think this card is on the unplayable end <laughs> of the set. <laughs> I, I just think it's so expensive. Like, I never wanted to for one myself for a card, even with the flexibility and paying mana to deal with my opponent's things at a lesser rate is not what I want to do. I just don't want any part of this card. I, yeah, I understand that. I think the modality is like just enough. I don't think it's nearly as good as people think it is, but I think there will be some spots, some decks that like are pretty happy to have a couple of copies of this, especially because it kills creatures, artifacts, and enchantments. So that's like a lot of overlap. See, I just question the, like, how much are you really getting for the flexibility is kind of what I'm curious about. I think a reasonable amount, honestly. I think if somebody is, like, running you down with fast creatures, you're okay throwing away a card, and then at some point you recoup that with your more powerful cards. If they are playing mid-rangey stuff, and you pay one extra mana, and you get to exile it, especially if they were playing sagas or whatever different card types to try to get around creature removal and this can do stuff about that it's never going to be like incredible but i think it's going to be have enough like different spots that it's fine in that it will be okay i don't think it's great though see i think my problem is that i can accept it being fine like when it's in my deck and i draw it like it's never going to be excellent but it'll be fine my problem is i don't know what kind of deck i would be playing where I'm sacrificing the thing I actually want to target, whether that's creature removal specifically or disenchants. Like, I don't know what deck I'm playing that I need to be flexible mm-hmm. and I'm doing it as like the main deck. Like, I just don't see where it fits. In. I mean, it's just really format dependent, right? Like if there is stuff happening that you need to answer a little more broadly, then you have to look for more broad answers. If the only stuff you need to kill are creatures, then you take the more narrow removal spells, the more efficient stuff. So I think, yeah, Prismatic Ending solves so much of White's removal problem in modern back. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I kind of struggle to see how good the flexibility is and even like Pioneer Historic. Like time will tell. I think that this is worse than Twitter thinks it is, but I think it's better than like I thought it was on my first read of it. I just I think there's just enough spots where you're actually okay throwing away a card in order to get that efficiency to keep up with an aggro deck. And then, you know, the window where you have to do that isn't that big. And sometimes it's just like, yeah, I'll I'll pay it one mana more than they paid for their thing to get rid of it. That's totally fine. But anyways, my number three card is Light Paws Emperor's Voice. This is one in a white for a legendary Fox Advisor. Whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that aura and with a different name than each aura you control. Put that card onto the battlefield attached to Light Paws Emperor's Voice, then shuffle. I can't can't (laughs) believe I made you read both the Wandering Emperor and Light Paws. I feel so bad. (laughs) Well, I did this to myself. I guess we both knew that these cards would be on our lists. but Yeah, I have Light Paws on my list. I like this card a lot. Yeah, I think it's really, really powerful. It's just, you know... SRAM slash uh, Core Spirit Dancer 9 through 12, if if you're doing that. It, it's just like if you cast this, 
and then you cast an aura and find an aura to put on this, you're probably doing something dangerous. If you manage to do it twice, then you're probably just killing your opponent. It just seems very easy to make super dangerous. And it's really good with Loris. It is also really good with Loris, yes. Specifically thinking of Pioneer for that, but yeah, I, I like this card a lot. We talked about it last week. Yeah, yep, yep. I mean, uh, the black-white Auras deck with Luris as the companion is a historic deck, so... Yeah, you know. that one too. My number two is Michigo's Reign of Truth. This is the All That Glitters Saga, one and a white. Chapters one and two, target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each artifact and or enchantment you control. It's chapter three, you exile it, then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control, and it's an enchantment creature with power and toughness equal to the number of artifacts and enchantments you control. So it's always at least a 1-1. One, one. It always gives at least plus one, plus one. But we've seen all the glitters be pretty good in various formats. And I think this is mostly better just because it doesn't have the vulnerabilities in the first couple of turns. It doesn't hit every single turn, but you rarely like played all that glitters attacked with it untapped with it attacked with it untapped with it and attacked with it again and that's like the main spot where this is worse than all the glitters and in like every other spot it's better so except for aura synergies obviously aura specific synergies like light pause well mm -hmm. have you want mm -hmm. but yeah i think this card's is quite good mostly because it removes the uh fatal push your guy yeah that you just enchanted vulnerability Yep, that's kind of the crux of this card. Like we know, all the glitters is good. This card is basically that with the little spice. Yep, and if you have a vault scourge and a signal pest or whatever, and yeah, they fatal push one, but then the other one comes in the next turn for nine damage. Like, wow, this was a lot better than all the glitters there. Yeah, it really. If you're playing against a removal spell deck or deck that interaction hinges on removing creatures you're trying to suit up. This card is a really good juke around that. For sure. And my number one is Lion Sash. This is one in the white for an artifact creature equipment cat. I love all of the reconfigure type lines. This isn't yes. even like close to the best one, and it's still very good. Uh, one, 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 what? God, every one of these cards does have just so much text, huh? Yeah. This is the wordiest set of all time so far. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, one in a white for a one, one. Pay white, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a permanent, put a plus one, plus one counter on Lion Sash. Quip creature gets plus one, plus one for each plus one, plus one counter on Lion Sash, and it has reconfigure for two. Uh, this just is a scavenging ooze type thing that you can Stoneforge Mystic for, and if you have, like, Ornithopters or whatever, then you can just, like, kill them the turn you draw this. That's uh, just, like, a lot of good stuff going on. Should we explain what reconfigure is? Oh, reconfigure lets you equip your equipment cat to a creature. You can also pay the reconfigure cost to turn this back into a creature, just like unequipping it, which you couldn't do with an equip cost. Yeah, all at sorcery speed. Unfortunately for all you Lissid fans out there. <laughs> yes, well, Lissid's ab absolute abomination of Magic the Gathering rules. Reconfigure, just a real nice, easy ride of, of well-designed cards. I don't know. I I actually like Lissid's, but we don't have to talk about that. I mean, like Lissid's are sweet because of the precursor to this sort of thing, but they basically don't work under magic rules. So I think it's fantastic how busted they are in combat. Yes. <laughs> in every conceivable scenario. 
Also, there was a certain amount of time that they existed with damage on the stack, so they were double busted in combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lion's Ash, though. Yeah, Lion's Ash, just obviously very good. It, like, certainly can't be your primary method of graveyard hate. Like, Lion's Ash isn't your plan against Dredge, but it's a great backup to, like, you know, I started out with my Leyline of the Void or whatever, or I put a Lantern into play, and then eventually I found my Lion Sash once they dealt with my harder graveyard hate, and this is just going to, like, put it away. Both being a clock and, like, you know, harvesting their graveyard. I think mostly this card is going to be attached to synergy pieces. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I'm, I'm primarily thinking of Stoneforge Mystic here because it's the most powerful one and played a bunch. Yep. I think this card is likely to show up in every Stoneforge list, at least initially, until people figure out what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it'll be good there. And I don't know what role it'll play. It, like, it can be a scavenging goose type of card in standard Alchemy Historic, but I think it'll really shine once. Like, if. Uh, are they just called Alchemy sets? Like, the, the digital only ones? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Huh. Well, so if Neon Dynasty Alchemy set has some equipment synergy, the, those cards, those card sets have been strongly impactful. I could see Lion Sash being one of the best cards in the set. Yeah. You can also Imperial Recruiter for it, which is pretty cute. That is pretty cute. Yeah. It cooks for free up your Still Valadin. I think, yeah. If nothing else, this is just awesome in Hammer. Like... I know Hammer is going through a rough patch right now, but I've, yeah, I hope so. Like, I, it seems more of a sideboard card in Hammer to me, but I think it definitely sure. can find a place. But like, it's one of those sideboard cards that you don't mind bringing in because it's like not that off plan to have it him. in your deck. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best part about creature hate. Like, all right, I'll just attack you now. Yeah, I I mean, and and that's like obviously this doesn't solve like a fast. Gra- you can't put a Lion Sash into play on turn two and be like, I'm safe against oops all spells. Like this isn't the type of graveyard hate that solves that kind of problem. But as a secondary, like I want this many pieces of graveyard interaction. My other pieces are very fast and powerful. And then here's one that can work. And also like if I draw this and another piece of graveyard interaction, I didn't like mulligan to five as they limp across with non graveyard cards. Like this one just turns into an eight, eight and kills them or equips to an ornithopter and kills them. Yeah, it's really good. My white top five list is very similar. That's going to happen, I think, a lot mm-hmm. until we get to the bad colors. Uh, <laughs> but my number five was Light Paws, uh, the mm-hmm. Emperor's Voice. My number four is a different card because I didn't have the Dumb March on my list. I have Hotshot Mechanic, which is a white mana 2-1 artifact creature Fox Pilot. Uh, which can crew vehicles as though its power were two greater. So it's basically, it can crew four, essentially. And it's a Savannah Lions. Uh, I just think it's a decently good one drop. Like, a, it's a decent Savannah Lions, and there are some good vehicles in this set. Mostly Reckoner Bank Buster, which is a card we'll talk about later, I'm sure. See, I just don't. I, I, as I went through, I, I just didn't really see any of the vehicles... Especially not vehicles with like more than crew two seeing play. Like I, I don't really like Reckoner Bankbuster that much, so I I didn't like 
But, you know, this is a one drop with two power. Bar is relatively low. And if any of the vehicles do see play, then that, that could be a synergy that, you know, you're getting something for your one mana. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not pinning all my hopes and dreams on it. It's just a, a good Savannah Alliance. Sure, yeah. Uh, my number three is the Wandering Emperor. My number two is Lion Sash. Mm. Although I do like it. Uh, I like Michiko's Reign of Truth a lot more. Sure. <laughs> That's my number one. <laughs> I think Lion Sash is a, a better eternal pick. Mm-hmm. But I think Michiko's Reign of Truth supplants as a four of a lot of the already four of all the glitters whereas lion yeah. sash is mostly just like a one of that's that's fair it's hard to like gauge what that means for like impact on a format or yeah, how good true. a card is but yeah i i totally buy that like Mijigo's goes of truth is going to be a four of in good decks for sure and, and lion sash is a really good card that's kind of a role player that's kind mm-hmm. of i, I it's kind of like a 1A, 1B scenario rather than like a, all right, you're the gold medalist and you're the silver medalist. Right. Both of these are going to be powerful in bigger formats and smaller formats too, probably. Like I can see both of these seeing significant standard play. So, mm-hmm. All right. Time for the, the best color, blue. <laughs> blue is really good in this set. There's just yeah. like a lot of sweet cards in it too. Uh, I, I have a... A weird one at my number five. Me too. Uh, this is a mnemonic sphere. Okay, that wasn't mine, but I figured <laughs> I figured that this one would make your list, so I didn't put it on mine. So this is a one and a blue artifact that you can pay one and a blue and sacrifice it to draw two cards, or it's got a channel ability, which is basically pay a blue, discard it, draw a card. It has cycling. It's an artifact hieroglyphic illuminations yes courier's capsule is real jealous of this card yeah, this one doesn't even have to tap to activate yeah you can tap it know. to your moon snare prototype yeah make a mana to sacrifice it mm-hmm. Oof. and it's got the installment thing so yeah you can you can pitch it for one mana for one card or you can just install four mana into it over however many turns you want it also puts an artifact in your graveyard when you channel it, which I think mm-hmm. can be something that's very relevant. Yeah. Also, I was looking for artifacts you wouldn't be embarrassed to play alongside Moonsnare Prototype, especially in lower power formats. And this one's not that bad. Yeah. Especially since you can play Emery in almost all those formats, mm-hmm. which is a lot more appealing. This card's so much more appealing than Witching Well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> It's no Aether Spellbomb for Historic, because that card is legal in Historic for boggling jumpstart reasons. Yeah, Historic has like no shortage of stuff to do with Emery with Aether Spellbomb and Chromatic Sphere. But this one's still good. This this card is just a reasonable workhorse card. It, I don't have a lot to say about it. It pretty much just does what it says on the card. Yeah. But it's flexible, cheap, and has artifacts energies enough that, you know, it, it's yep. a card on my top five. <laughs> and it will see a certain amount of play index that like are mid-rangey and have delirium synergies right like just blue put an artifact in my graveyard in formats where that doesn't happen very often is like kind of a real thing mm-hmm. um, my number four is a similar card in that vein it's a mirror shell crab mm-hmm. uh, this is a 5uu 57 artifact crab with ward three it also has a channel ability of two and a blue discard it counter target spell or ability unless it's controller pays three so this is your 
bad mana leak that lets you put an artifact creature in the graveyard that's kind of big yeah that's like five seven ward three is like five seven is a big creature and ward three makes it pretty hard to reasonably kill i have seen some i don't so i don't know how good this is but i have seen some people think about playing this in living end mm-hmm. because it's a counter spell permission card that doesn't break up your cascade stuff and it's blue so you can pitch it to force negation yeah uh i am interested in trying something like this i think that this and one of the other channel cards one of the gold ones encourage potentially a different style of living end deck that is not about like racing to put stuff in the graveyard and then getting it out as quickly as possible it's more about playing this like little bit of a back and forth game where you have several different points of interaction and then you know you let a couple of creatures slip through and then you cast a living end and get those creatures and put like two big things into play or something like that i am into trying that because you know the cascade decks have developed like some pretty significant weaknesses and not that cards like this solve the teferi weakness although you can channel to counter a spell while your opponent has a teferi in play so you know channel opens up a lot of weird doors and uh yeah i i definitely want to try this yeah one of the cool things too about this channel and and channels in general they don't they're almost impossible to counter the only thing you're really countering mirror shell crab's channel ability with is another mirror shell crab or three mana yeah or three mana whatever (laughs) (laughs) but you can like if your opponent cascades you can counter the spell Mm -hmm. or the cascade ability or whatever right and right they can't force a negation your mirror shell crab counter spell Mm -hmm. it's just completely safe yep uh veil of summer does work though but they don't draw a card they don't draw a card so you know it's one of the less awful interactions of counter spell versus it's about the best you're gonna get against a veil of summer (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i don't know if this card's gonna work out but i am excited to try it like it's it's got some spice to it for sure all right now i'm on to my wordy cards uh number three is tameshi reality architect which is a two and a blue two three for a legendary creature moonfolk wizard uh whenever one more non-creature permanents are returned to hand draw a card this ability triggers only once per turn and x and a white and return a land you control to its owner's hand return target artifact or enchantment card with mana value x or less from your graveyard to the battlefield activate only as a sorcery so (laughs) there's a lot going on with this card and none of his none of it has obvious applications which is something i really like about this set Mm -hmm. so the first pile of text is that when something gets bounced either yours or your opponents you draw a card but that only happens once it notably does not trigger on creatures being bounced so aether spellbomb isn't just like the best card ever for this card because you can't just like return it to the from the graveyard to the battlefield bounce your opponent's creatures on their turn and draw a card like you just go off that way yeah they saw that so they stopped it <laughs> <laughs> but you do draw a card with its first ability by using its second because mm-hmm. the land you control is being bounced to hand so you you draw a card every time you use its second ability or the first time you use its second ability which you can use any number of times. I think the main card I think about when I'm 
looking at this are Mishra's Bobbles and Urza's Sagas, because you can return both of those to the battlefield at yeah. one mana. Yeah. And those cards are really, really good. Those cards are really, really good. I, I also like this card very much. My, like, slight pause about it is, like, those cards are really, really good anyways, and yeah. then do you need to do this? But the other side of that coin is this card is really, really good with cards that are already really, really good and you're happy to play with. So we're not stretching that much to do something with this card. It's also a different shade than like Emery is because it just it works in a different way. Mm -hmm. You don't have to cast cards from your graveyard. It's a card draw engine without necessarily needing to resolve anything. And if you. Well, hold on, I got to read the text of this card to see if the thing that i was about to say actually works okay yeah so you can't activate the ability without a target so if like they're if they've turned off graveyard stuff then it can't just like slowly you know draw you cards by like returning lands so that's a little bit too bad it does rely on the graveyard to function at all yeah but a lot of other cards do. It's not yeah, a super knock against this. And no, if you're no, playing no. it with Urza Saga, you always got that. All right, that's a cute little rest in peace you got there. Here's some right, monstrous. That's true. You are <laughs> already insulated by by fact of playing Urza Saga at all. It, it's less like, boy, too bad this doesn't work if the graveyard is turned off, and more like I was just looking up to see if it didn't, if it helped if your graveyard was gone, and it, it it doesn't. But that's okay. Uh, it's also. Mostly you're drawing cards off the first ability. I think you're going to have to try pretty hard to draw cards during your opponent's turn. Uh, the only card that really does it is Odawara, which is the uh, legendary land in this set that has a channel bounce something. So mostly just kind of an engine card for grindy or unfair stuff if you can figure it out. Because it, it's pretty generic. As long as you can return cheap stuff, you can do it multiple times per turn. Yeah, it's also blue and white. So if you're... I mean, I guess it, it's easy to draw cards on your own turn, so Teferi bouncing something isn't really going to draw you an extra card because you could already do that with this thing's ability. Yeah, I don't know how well this card and Teferi play again with each other. I mean, probably great because Teferi's an excellent card. Uh, yeah, I mean, do we how much do we not think many cards do you have? <laughs> but also, if we can make blue mana and white mana, are we not playing Teferi in our deck? In modern? oh, we're, we're certainly doing. Uh, I don't know. A lot of the Urza decks sideboard Teferi, the blue white ones. Yeah. But, I mean, like, you still at least would be sideboarding Teferi almost yeah, certainly. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, moving on. I've got the reality chip at number two, <laughs> which is another long one. This is a one and a blue legendary artifact equipment jellyfish. So that is board. the best type line in the set. Yes. You can look at the top card of your library at any time, and that's on the house. That's for free. It's got reconfigure two and a blue. And as long as the reality ships is attached to a creature, you can play lands and cast spells from the top of your library. So it's a, a build your own future site, which is notable because it's an artifact. So it works with all the artifacts energy stuff. It mm -hmm. does not have defender. So you can Michiko's Reign of Truth it or cranial plating it or whatever and attack with it. Sure. And it works with Luris. <laughs> yes. For all of your Luris artifacty needs, you can just play with a future site in your Luris deck now. Yeah, I mean, a, a blue-white artifacty Luris deck with a real card advantage engine here is, like, it, it seems attainable. It seems really buildable. 
it's a dual artifact. It's a dual engine because you've got the Luris thing. And when you don't have Luris online or even before you can put it in your hand and play mm-hmm. it and do all that stuff. Right. And then Luris yeah. lets you get back this, this future site too. Yeah. You can't draw too many of them because mm-hmm. of the legendary aspect of it, but it's also an equipment. So if you're in a Stoneforge format, you can do it with that. Hmm. If that's your jam. Uh, being able to tutor for not only Lion Sash, but also the reality chip is a lot of utility that you get off your Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. Is, you know, before this set, you were getting life linkers or, or cauldras or Colossus hammers. Like you're just getting power and toughness. Mm-hmm. Now you have actual effects to tutor with Stoneforge Mystic. And the reality chip's a, a really good one. Yeah. And it, this also, it like, is the kind of thing that makes me uh a little more comfortable playing ingenious smith when there's stuff like this to hit with it too and it's not just like more components it's like i actually have like engine cards to dig towards yeah that's fair i i've noticed that ingenious smith's numbers have fallen dramatically especially in urza style decks Mm -hmm. and i don't actually think that's gonna i don't think that number is gonna go up once you put more cards in your deck even if they work well just because Ingenious, but it's not that great. <laughs> yeah, true, true. But Even if like, it's finding you good cards, like you can also just play those cards too. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, and and we can always put like any number of like cantripy things and artifacts that draw cards into our deck. So yeah, there's no shortage of artifacts that draw cards. Yeah, the main thing artifacts do is draw cards or make mana. <laughs> <laughs> Look at every set ever. Yeah, I. So like a part of me feels like i would be surprised if this creature that you then need to pay three more mana to equip to another creature and then cast spells off of is going to make like a huge impact but it also is like really low cost up front it is stone forgeable you can look at the top card of your library at any time which means you never equip this and then look at your top card and you're like dang didn't get any value off of it this turn like you're only doing that if you have spare mana or you're getting a thing off of it and even with it just in play with fetch lands you can fix your draws a little bit so there's a a tiny bit of added value there i i view this card very similarly to lion sash in terms of like numbers Mm -hmm. it's a little more broader utility than lion sash but more expensive uh, basically, you play some like a few numbers, but you're relying heavily on synergies to make it better, basically, because yeah. I don't think this card's good on its just own merits, which is what I think I said last episode, because it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. But once you add in all the synergies surrounding equipments, artifacts, Luris, I think the card's really appealing. Yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely something drawing me to this card. I'm I'm pretty into it. My number one is thankfully the least amount of text I have to read. <laughs> it's Moonsnare Prototype. This is a blue mana artifact. You can tap it and tap an untapped artifact or creature you control to add a colorless mana. And it's got channel for you, discard. Uh, the owner of target non permanent puts it on the top or bottom of their library. This is a blue Springleaf Drum-esque card that lets you tap artifacts as well as creatures. So you can use this with mistress bobbles or what have you and produce mana instead of just having to run out creatures so it's mm-hmm. not as good as the color fixing as a spring leaf drum 
but tapping an artifact you, is a way cheaper cost than yeah tapping it lets a you subsidize the costs so much better especially since a lot of artifacts don't even care if they're tapped or not <laughs> yes yeah any equipment is just free to tap with this except mm-hmm. not not maybe not your reconfigured creature but like once it's attached to something you, you're happy to tap it for sure yeah no this is also my number one it seems very clearly excellent uh especially like in modern i think it opens up places where you just didn't really have the man XL. like if an urza deck is going to exist again it's because of this card i, I think this card is extru- four mana and three mana are such a good point for artifact decks in modern mm-hmm. because of urza and uh, enabler cards yeah and those decks kind of want thought monitor but can't really justify it because it costs too much mana Mm-hmm. And Moonstone Prototype solves a lot of the mana issues and artifact density of yeah. those decks just kind of all at once right. while making uh, extra copies. Have I mean, we just kind of needed like one, a new decent one mana artifact. And this one is much better than decent, I think. Yeah. It also has the channel ability, which is really big for mm-hmm. decks that, you know, once you've drawn one and put into play and you maybe have an Urza. You got a use case out of your your runes in your prototype. You don't just throw it on the battlefield. Right. And I mean, Urza decks especially have this thing where you're like really choked on mana for the first couple of turns. And then at some point you have effectively infinite mana. So the like five mana channel when you draw this with an Urza in play is like a really nice alternative. Yeah. And not to go back too far to the reality chip, but I also think like Urza with the reality chip is really nice because Future mm. Sight, when you have so much mana that's a good place to be yeah that's really true but yeah moonstone prototype i think just does a lot for specifically urza decks and i'm sure you can find other places for it as well it's just pretty flexible some of the smaller formats just don't have springleaf drum right so uh, no, it's in there oh right? yeah it is in isn't it yeah i mean it's not online so it's not on historic so certainly like this opens up a, a lot of new possibilities in historic where just there was nothing in this category and i think the artifact decks like probably needed something like this you know what you want to do with those decks is run four nettle cysts four thought monitors and this makes your nettle cysts and thought monitors a, a lot better yeah the, I, I think this card's very good with anything with affinity for sure yes true all right what you got different than me uh so my number five is mirror shell crab i'm pretty pumped for this nice. card i i want to want to see if i can make it work uh, my number four is Tezzeret Betrayer of Flesh. Mm-hmm. This I, is I barely left this one off my list. Yeah, I wrestled a little bit with with some of the options. Uh, so two UU for a four loyalty Planeswalker. The first activated ability of an artifact you activate each turn costs two less to activate. Plus one is draw two cards, then discard two cards unless you discard an artifact. Minus two. Target artifact becomes an artifact creature. If it isn't a vehicle, it has base power and toughness 4-4. Four, four. Minus six, you get an emblem with whenever an artifact you control becomes tapped, draw a card. Basically, there are some, the non-modern formats, some of them have some pretty good artifacts in them, but Urza is not legal in those formats because Urza is crazy good. And this is a pretty decent, like, 2UU payoff for having a lot of artifacts in your deck. Just like card advantage engine, it can make your board really threatening and I I don't know if this is like a real thing for anything, but it is really cute that like I didn't think about the static ability when you're 
you have signets or chromatic spheres in play and it actually like just gives you a mana and so that's kind of cute but probably not particularly relevant yeah i think most of those cards are just exclusive to modern Mm -hmm. like i know signets are for sure I don't know how many chromatic stars there are in the other formats. I mean, this is like kind of fine in your historic, like ether spellbomb chromatic sphere artifact deck. So, yeah, you're doing that. I, I see that first cheapening ability mm-hmm. is going to be better the more people play with the card. I think you just have to figure out like what artifacts are actually good because a lot of yeah. times you've just priced yourself out of thinking about a, an artifact or a card because it just costs too much mana yeah and then you realize with this card oh it doesn't have to maybe it's fine right and so some percentage of the time it's much cheaper and does that make it then good enough who knows Um, but i think generally this is just you know this kind of tears through your deck as you're looking for whatever and if you have artifacts you can discard to it which often your early game artifacts you don't really want to keep after turn four five six and so you're happy to discard your extra moon snare prototypes and stuff so uh that thirst for knowledge ability is gonna put you up on cards uh so yeah i I think this is an okay card i don't think it's like a world beater or anything but yeah it's all my number three is the reality chip for all the reasons we talked about i just like is a combination of words that I would never have thought to see on a card, and it definitely op- it's a future site you can stoneforge for. That's really cool. Yeah. My number two is Moon Circuit Hacker. So this is one in a blue. This is one of the like. <laughs> there's three commons on my blue list, and I think blue's <laughs> really good. Yeah. This is a one in a blue for a two one ninja with ninjutsu of blue, and whenever Moon Circuit Hacker deals combat damage to a player. You may draw a card. If you do discard a card, unless Moon Circuit Hacker entered the battlefield this turn. I mean, for Popper, if nothing else, like this card is incredibly good. But I I think that it just like has potential other functionalities in various formats and like especially like standard and historic stuff. Just that ninjutsu is so cheap. You draw a card off of it. it. If you have any cheap like ETB creatures and stuff like that, this is such an easy, cheap card advantageous way to cycle through them it's just so efficient at what it does that i can't see this not doing something somewhere i haven't given this card a lot of thought because honestly a lot of the blue cards in this set i was looking at were not in the creature sphere so the ninjas is a little harder or if they are they're like i'm not a crab and i've never <laughs> yeah no there's like a lot of like artifact stuff and crabs to distract you from normal magic cards yeah, so I, I didn't I didn't really think about that, but it is efficient if you're if you can get through an unblocked creature, it's just straight up card advantage. And if you can ninjutsu this creature mm-hmm. again, uh, one of the neat things about ninjutsu, uh, if you weren't around for the very first time it was legal, you can ninjutsu multiple creatures with the same card <laughs> as long as they're unblocked. Oh yes, you can. <laughs> That's true. So you can kind of cheat you're you're bouncing if you want to get extra mileage out of etv creatures or other ninjas mm-hmm. and that's neat that you that a card this cheap of a ninjutsu cost exists so you can utilize that mm-hmm. it's also just you know like compare it to ninja of the deep hours like the fail case where you just weren't able to ninjutsu that card is like i have a four mana two two in my hand yeah. and this you know two mana two one is not 
breaking down any doors, but you're at least allowed to cast that in a game of Magic the Gathering. You're not allowed to hard cast Ninja of the Deep Hours basically ever. So uh, just the level of efficiency on this card. I, I, it's also an enchantment for some reason. I don't know if that ever does anything except like get it disenchanted awkwardly when you're trying to hit them with it, but... So it's know. an enchantment because all the enchantment creatures are traditional Kamigawa cards. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why it's this, one I don't is know a why this card is flavored like that because it's a hacker. <laughs> but it's, I don't know, maybe it's doing magical hacking. Well, it's clearly doing magical hacking, not changing colors <laughs> on text boxes, but it is clearly doing some form of magical hacking. Perhaps it is doing some sort of like sabotage against the technologically inclined. Maybe. Uh, and then my number one is obviously Moonsnare Prototype. This card is real good. Very good. Looking forward to playing with it. Yeah. All right. Black. <laughs> yeah, Black. Black's a little bit of a mess in this set. I I wouldn't be surprised if we have like 10 different cards between us. And like none of them see very much standard play. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my number five is probably a, not a playable card. This is... Uh, Okaiba Reckoner Raid. It's a one black saga. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's a one black mana saga. Chapter one and two is each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Chapter three, exile the saga, then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. Uh, it is a two-two enchantment creature with menace, and it gives your vehicles menace. I mean, it's a one drop, so the bar is kind of low. I don't know that we will have any decks that want a one black mana one drop. Like, vampires probably can't play a card like this because it's not a vampire. Uh, but it's relatively efficient. 2-2 two, two Menace can, like, keep getting in for damage. And it is some, like, guaranteed life drain for, like, if you need any triggers or enabling for opponent losing life or you gaining life. So there's, like, enough here for one mana that it makes the blacklist in this set for me. Yeah, honestly, it's probably better than several cards on my list <laughs> just because it costs one mana yep that's one of the best abilities in magic the gathering is costing one or zero mana yep it's a good enabler if you can find something that uses it and that's kind of it also one thing to note about all of the sagas in this set is that they trigger like constellation or whatever twice so if you have an enchantress effect like these will draw two cards unless it's an enchantress effect that's based on casting an enchantment in which case they they don't draw think, two cards I, I don't know for sure but i believe the only enchantresses that do not care about casting are like satess and champion and eidolon of blossoms which are both constellation cards does the modern horizons 2 one care about casting Sithis, or? right the hardest yeah. hand no yeah it's a cast trigger dang okay well that is too bad so these don't trigger a lot of that stuff. It's it's pretty much just the, yeah, that is, it's pretty much just the actual constellation ability. But if that matters, then, you know, these do trigger constellation abilities twice. <laughs> just wait for Theros 3. They'll, they'll save us. Yep. Yes, this this really Doomwake Giants them super hard. <laughs> uh, my number four is Nashi Moon Sages Scion. This is one black black for a 3-2 with ninjutsu of three and a black. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of each player's library until end of turn. You play. You may play one of those cards. If you cast a spell this way, pay life equal to its mana value rather than paying its mana cost. 
I mean, you're really like rolling the dice on this one, and and you obviously it requires the existence of some sort of like blue black small creature ninjutsu deck. But man, when you right, hit hey, and you hit this. something good, ready. So you have the reality chip in your blue back ninjas deck. So you know. And you look at the top card. Mm-hmm. Then you attack with your reality chip. And they don't block it because it has no power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you can do it. You yeah. can do it all. Great. I'm game. I'm in. I'm not. It doesn't. It's, no. I think this card is. It's and probably pretty bad. I don't blame you putting it on your list because there's not a lot to pick from. There's not a lot but, to pick from. Uh, this card is just a little too expensive and non-evasive like it doesn't even have menace it's... yeah and when you ninjutsu it it costs four mana which in stand like in constructed magic the gathering paying four mana for something like you know we're getting stuff like immersed predator and, and things like Honestly, that for four mana so. it's not that bad i think the problem is mostly connecting with it because once you're ninjutsu you mm-hmm. do get to hopefully cast two cards but you gotta cast those you only cards. you only get to play one of the cards you only get to play one of them yes Okay, never mind. Let's go to the next <laughs> card. Uh, my next card is Life of Toshiro Umezawa. This is one in a black for a saga. Uh, chapters one and two are choose one. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn, or you gain two life. So you get one GTA activation each turn. Uh, it's minus three is you exile it and then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control i have to read the backside hold on the backside is a two three enchantment creature with tap pay one life add a block but you can only spend that mana to cast instant or sorcery spells so this is just like a niche sideboard card if your opponent is playing a bunch of small creatures and uh you know, if it comes down and kills something and then screws up their ability to like cast another X1 and then turns into a creature and you're a controlling or mid-rangey deck and they're an aggro deck, like that's a pretty good effect. So I, this is a decent sideboard card if those matchups exist and you need a sideboard card for them. And a little too expensive one. <laughs> kind of, except that the fact that it takes out two or threatens to take out two like really makes up for that, I think. You, you, you need your opponent to be pretty heavy on x ones yeah but there's a lot of good ones because like uh uh elite spellbinder is an x1 you know mm-hmm. dolly is an x1 like there's a lot of good stuff hot shot mechanic that's <laughs> <laughs> hot shot mechanic <laughs> the the worst thing to, about this card to me is that it's it's life to share umizawa but it's actually just life of Toshiro Umezawa's Jite. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, look at the life of this person. I but know. what about his weapon? <laughs> but that's but, the one that everybody knows. Yeah. I mean, the backside kind of references his propensity for casting instant sorceries, which was the original card was what that was about. It's yeah. Well, the original card was only about casting instants, but yeah, yeah. that's true. And only when creatures died. So <laughs> We're going to expand just a little bit more. Yeah, Kamigawa was not the most generous set. It the was original not. one. <laughs> that was very much on purpose. Well, I mean, sometimes they give you a Sensei Divining Top, and other times they give you a Toshiro Umezawa. Yeah, so I mean, sometimes they gave you a Numazawa's Jite, though. That's Oops. true. <laughs> uh, my number two is Biting Palm Ninja, two and a black for a 3-3 three, three, with Ninjutsu, two and a black. 
Biting Palm Ninja enters the battlefield with a menace counter on it. When it deals combat damage to a player, you may remove a menace counter from it. When you do, that player reveals their hand and you choose a non-land card from it, exile that card. I think that like one of the keys for ninjas is being good when you ninjutsu it and acceptable when you don't. And I'm okay with casting this for three mana. It's going to demand a removal spell or a response because they just can't let this hit them. And that's fine. And ninjutsuing it is quite good because it gets through and that's that's what you want yeah i, I like this card a lot it's also on my list the very first card we've had that shared <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh yeah I, I just like this card a lot yeah i mean a, a creature that thought seizes them is a good thing that's very powerful thought not seer has seen infinite amounts of play this isn't as good as thought not seer but it like does a reasonable impression you you hope that it can do some thought not seer stuff that's that's why yeah. you're aiming to play with it and my number one is Jinji, the Midnight Sky. This is the drag legendary dragon spirit in black. Three black black for a 5-5 five, five flying menace. When it dies, choose one. Each opponent discards two cards and loses two life. Or put target non-dragon creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. You lose two life. It's just a big dude that dies into a big dude, hopefully. Or worst case, you mind rot your opponent when it dies. And yeah, five mana is asking a lot, but this is a really large creature that demands an answer. And when they do, you get something out of it. You want to be playing other reasonably sized creatures in your deck. So it's just like you run them out. But the mind rot is a fine backup play when they kill it and you don't have anything good to get back. Yeah, relevantly, this is also a dragon, and its second ability does not target your graveyard necessarily. You can True. get their stuff. Yeah. So you can put this in like alchemy dragons. Like you can make a new version of it and have some Junjis or do different legendary things. I don't know if that pans out. Yeah. It seems the most reliable way to have a impactful dragon in your deck, like this card. The fact that you can't get your own creatures back with it then doesn't... Yeah, it sucks. It's, it's not exciting to me. <laughs> but, you know, Mind Rot them. Get some cheap dragons. <laughs> <laughs> you Mind Rot them with the first one. They discard a creature. Ooh, then with the second one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this card's like pretty fine. For any black midrange standard power level deck... Because we are no longer in a format where you get all runs epiphanied, so cards like this have a shot. That's true. I I have Genji as my number five because uh, it's got stats and a bunch of words on it. And yep. It's kind of how I treat the card. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> uh, my number four is Biting Palm Ninja. I think the relevance of Menace being good with the ninjutsu mechanic is kind of just brings this card home to mm -hmm. me. Uh, now we get to the different ones. My number three is Invoke Despair. This is a is this one. Just the infest? No. Oh, okay. Good. I, I, though I'm glad you brought that up because I did strongly consider putting I, the infest I, on my I list. I also strongly considered that. <laughs> Invoke despair is one BB. Oh, right. BB. Uh, target opponent sacks a creature. If they can't, they lose two life, and you draw a card. Then you repeat that process for an enchantment and a planeswalker. So it's got to be a mono black deck because you're not playing this anywhere else. The <laughs> Lord help you. But it is actually pretty good as a card advantage slash removal tool in this style of decks. 
that can't refill quickly and have to rely on engines mm-hmm. it is a good one card i'm gonna gain card advantage from this now kind sure. of effect and i'm not gonna hype this card up because i don't think it's that great but this is where we at are at <laughs> in the state of black right here in the set <laughs> yeah i mean i guess it's right you're you're hoping they're playing medium-sized creatures so you can like get a three mana creature and then draw two cards or whatever and it, it domes them too it's not that bad right right and then like the fail state is when they're a controlling deck and it's like a five mana draw three and then they lose i guess they lose six so yeah it does a lot of damage or takes out some permanents like it's a pretty good card advantage card but and we're, yeah we're, to be playing one block. we're getting playable planeswalkers too i think we're you know planeswalkers have been pretty bad in standard and we got a handful of decent ones so the like if you ever get a creature and a planeswalker with this you're like very i guess you have a decent chance of getting a token and a planeswalker at that point but you know right and that's good enough you're still drawing a card and they're losing two life off the enchantment part yeah like you're, you always get something out of this i think it's actually quite good as long as it's on the stack the problem is getting it there yeah the problem is it costs bbbb so maybe zero <laughs> of these get cast in competitive standard at all right Especially with face saving being banned. <laughs> All right, my number two is Mukotai Soul Ripper. This is a one and a B four three artifact vehicle. So it's not a creature. Uh, it's got crew two. Whenever it attacks, you can sacrifice an other artifact or creature. If you do, put a plus one plus one counter on it, and it gains a menace until end of turn. I'll be honest; I don't really know where this goes, <laughs> but it is a vehicle that lets you sacrifice things so it has dual purpose of like kind of an engine no pun intended mm-hmm. and a sacrifice style strategy while being somewhat difficult to remove and resistant to sweepers yeah like you can play the meat hook massacre and clear a bunch of the board and still have this thing left over with hopefully plus plus one counters on it yeah will you have anything to crew it with though well you'll figure that out later <laughs> so that's a problem for future us yeah we're all about getting the counters on first and then figuring it out later i don't have a lot of faith in vehicles generally but this does have pretty solid power for its mana cost and even for its crew costs so yeah if if you are able to sacrifice stuff to it i don't know are we playing like a bunch of skyclave shades in this and we're just trying to mid-range beat them down to death or i don't know i see i would bring up that we could sacrifice artifacts and not just creatures but i don't know what artifacts you're playing in black decks like that that's well, hard to do i mean shambling gas gives this a bunch of that's true treasures yeah yeah hmm. the the fact that deadly dispute has just completely supplanted village rights have like getting a, a treasure obviously is really good on that but if you weren't able to sacrifice an artifact the card would struggle and like being able to sacrifice an artifact has been a huge bonus to that card. So that, that that's a pretty big bonus to this one too. There's treasures and stuff lying around. And blood. Oh, maybe play this in a vampire's Ooh. deck? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, this card has uses. That's yeah, I'm good. a little higher on it than than when I was looking at it before. <laughs> I mean, fine, Dino. A two mana permanent that attacks on turn three, four, five. Yes. Well hopefully it I have something to sacrifice. That'd be great. And it has menace whenever you sacrifice something for it. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to block. Yeah, I'm I'm growing on this card. I don't know exactly what deck, but like I want to build a deck that it's good in now. So that speaks well of it. Uh, my number one is Blade of the Oni. 
which is a one and a B three one artifact creature equipment demon with menace. That's kind of all it is on its front side. It has reconfigured two BB and equipped creature has base toughness five five power and toughness five five has menace and is a black demon in addition to its other colors and types. It does not give flying. It's a non-flying demon because this is Kamigawa. We have non-flying demons and non-flying spirits on this plane. Yes. I think this card is like a generically okay to drop in black, but the fact that it has menace means that you can do ninja stuff with it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. And it, it uh, like two mana menace creatures are very important for the if you're trying to do anything with ninjas at all. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can reconfigure your like kind of bad ninjas on the board into five five demons, right? The ones gives that, it extra oomph. Yeah, you used up the menace counter from your three, three from your biting palm ninja or your like, or, or you have one. a moon circuit hacker in play. Exactly, like, it's just a two one. Yeah, and now it's a five five menace. Once we've like both run out of cards, yeah. I can see that. I don't hate this. I, I think it's just like kind of the best rate black card in the set just mm-hmm. by itself. And I'm not saying it's good because of that, but it, that's just the case. The black cards are not great. Yeah. And then it has a lot of utility other than that, like especially in the Ninja's deck, which I like think it's a plant for. It is funny how much of the time this has robber of the rich syndrome. A, a large amount of the time it's in play. It's a mythic two mana, three, one menace. Yes, <laughs> but it does. You know, I think you'll equip it, it like a lot more than you could. It's not legendary too, which is pretty cool. Uh, unlike the reality mm-hmm. chip, so you can actually have multiple duties in play <laughs> and not be so like, oh, why did I put all these two drops in my deck? I can't play both of them at once. So one of the things that I am thinking of with this reconfigure cost is like now it sees no play because there's 500 really powerful three mana white cards but mall of the skyclave and how basically like it never got re-equipped until like everybody was completely out of magic cards so that is one thing to keep in mind is just how much a four mana equip cost is it just like you you do it when there's nothing else to do when you're done yeah equipping to give a creature plus two plus two and flying is very similar to this uh, bonus that it's giving something and that's how often you'll do it so it doesn't hurt that you know mall of the sky players often destroys the game when it enters the battlefield <laughs> the game's just <laughs> the, the games did tend to end really quickly after that came into play all right let's go to a good color i thought i think red is the deepest color in this set personally mm-hmm. like it was up there with blue yeah for just a number of cards i thought were really cool so to treat myself i put some <laughs> spicy ones in <laughs> Uh, number five, I've got Invoke Calamity. Man, I put two of these quad cards on my... Right. Anyway. Uh, this is... Hey, at least um, this one you can like ritual up to. You know, you can convert your yeah. other mana into red mana with your desperate rituals and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So this is a one red, 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 five mana total. Instant, which is important because if this were sorcery, it wouldn't be nearly as good. Uh you can cast up to two instant and or sorcery spells with total mana value six or less from your graveyard and or hand without paying their mana costs. If those spells will be put into your graveyard, exile them instead, then exile invoke calamity. This is a combo card. It's just straight up only exists to do degenerate, degenerate things. <laughs> I don't know what those things are. Right. 
I, I'm just going to be upfront. I've seen people try to float the idea of playing the Time Spiral era suspend cards without mana costs. So you can mm-hmm. like play a bunch of them. <laughs> but because <laughs> you can play any number of them as long as they're in your hand or graveyard. Well, you can only cast two. Yes, you can cast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can cast two of them. But you could cast one in a six mana spell. Yeah, you can cast one in a six mana spell. You can cast one of them and then another evoke calamity and just go off. <laughs> but a lot of the zero cost spells like that aren't like we know what decks they're good in already. Mm-hmm. And they're not whatever yeah. invoke calamity is doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's gotta be something else. And I don't know what combination of cards you can put to do this in, but it is in a color that is really good at making red mana. And have a lot of spells in it. So right. I'm sure there's something you can do. I just have no idea what it is. Yeah. And the fact that you can either use it, you know, just as a ritual, like this discounts one mana off as long as the spells that you're casting are six mana total, which maybe sometimes you're not going to get a perfect, like, here's two threes, here's a two and a four or whatever. But the fact that it does that, it like adds to storm count. It can if your opponent has been like thought seizing you and then you draw an evoke calamity you can get those spells out of your graveyard this puts you up cards you know there's just like a lot of spots in that type of deck where this might solve problems i don't know what the deck looks like exactly though either that's yeah that's it's it's a lot of experimentation kind of card i think Mm -hmm. but it has potential so it's number five yeah Uh, my number four is at sushi the blazing sky this is a 2RR 4-4 with Flying and Trample. Uh, when at Sushi, the Blazing Sky dies, you choose one, exile the top two cards of your library. Until end turn, you can play those cards or create three treasure tokens. Until the end of your next turn. So it's and, like yes, the good Until the version. end of your next turn, right. Like, uh, like Light Up the Stage the or whatever. Card. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Right Up the Stage. I just couldn't think of the name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a couple good four drops in this set. I think Thundering Raiju is the other one, mm-hmm. if I get that name right. Yeah. Uh, but I really like Atsushi just because it's a, fly, a flying card that has really good effects when your opponent kills it. Right. And those two choices are perfectly complementary to each other. If you got a lot of gas and you're just trying to dump the stuff out of your hand, make some treasure tokens. If you're out, draw two cards. But really nice for a, you know, this doesn't have haste or anything, doesn't have an ETB, but it's a four mana, four, four flying trample that if they kill it, you get something out of it. And I, yeah, I do think this card's pretty good. It's a really good curve topper. Mm-hmm. I, I like this card a lot, especially since you can. I mean, it's just like you said, it, it does what the card says. You you can dump your hand with all the extra mana or load up. Yeah, whatever you need. Both of the things you would need to do in a red deck. <laughs> yes. Yep. No, I think this is pretty good. And I do think that there's going to be some amount of these dragons seeing play as just top ends of various decks like mm-hmm. we didn't list all of them but they are all just like here's a big body with a big effect at the uh you know if you get rid of them so that like does Al, make you... the white one i actually quite like but i think white just had so many good cards that i didn't put them or her i don't know its gender yeah and the, the green one is like also potentially fine and so like that does make exile removal go up a little bit in value which and if that happens, then you you know you might want to switch to your other options. If people are playing like 
sorcery speed exile removal because of Atsushi the Blazing Sky, then you grab the haste four mana guy and put that as your top end. My number three is Lizard Blades. Yes. Which I would encourage the... There's a there's one art that's like a lizard just staring right at you. It's, it's very cute. Uh, but this is a one and a red artifact creature equipment lizard. It's a 1-1 one, one. with double strike. It has reconfigured two and equipped creature has double strike as well. It's really, really cheap to mm-hmm. give double strike to a creature while not being like a completely dead draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the neat things I saw a deck list do because the other good red creature which i'm gonna have on my list very shortly is rabbit battery yep which is a plus one plus one gives haste reconfigure card mm-hmm. you can equip these things together and sort of a rabbit lizard voltron <laughs> and it's really potent <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, this is like kind of the you're never really able to play like the Boros with Blade type creatures, because it's just like, if I didn't draw like a pump spell for this, this 1-1 double strike isn't really going to do anything. And you're also never really able to play a thing that just gives a creature double strike, because it's like, if I don't have the creature to give double strike to, that it's good to give it, what do I? But when it's like both the creature with double strike or it can give something double strike, then you might, like, that's enough that you might be able to make that work. You can also, (laughs) I've seen cute little deck lists where people are crewing vehicles and then equipping lizard's blades to those vehicles <laughs> Ooh, and you can uh, use it to crew and then yeah equip. yeah you can use it to crew and then equip uh there's a blue one that whatever you crew with becomes a copy of it but it keeps its vehicle power and toughness i think it's a four three blue vehicle or something like that mm-hmm. so then you're just attacking for straight up eight after you crew it with the lizard blades and you don't even need to equip it that i do like that synergy i don't know if that if there's a particular combination where that will actually come up at all in constructed, but I do like that synergy where you can tap your reconfigure creature to crew something and then you can equip the vehicle with your reconfigure. Like that's that's a nice amount of power, or depending on what you got or yeah. abilities or it, it's cool. It's cute. I, I think Lizard's Blade it, it's pretty innocuous. I wasn't really high on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's just like I don't want to say good enough because that makes it feel like i'm settling but it it has a lot of utility that you wouldn't expect from looking at like a fire shrieker mm-hmm. uh, which is an equipment that just gives double strike right or or boris swift blade like you said like it's just the perfect combination of both where you can yes you don't need a pump spell but there's a lot baked into red in this set with the reconfigure cards mm-hmm. and you can also just like throw this on an atsushi after you can't get through with your one power creature anymore yep yeah one thing to keep in mind about all of the reconfigure creatures is that, you know, in the same way that they have the strengths of a creature plus the strengths of an equipment that they can attack if you don't have a, other creatures, they can hop onto one of your creatures if they wouldn't be able to get through and it's better to Voltron up. They also have some of the weaknesses of both creatures and equipment in that, like, they, you know, your opponent can cast a removal spell on your equipment. It's not that there's a window to do that. Yeah, especially after you pay mana, it's brutal they get to choose which of the cards to kill yeah for sure which is why uh my number two is rabbit battery Mm -hmm. this is a red mana one one artifact creature equipment rabbit with haste and reconfigure for a red to give a cooked creature plus one plus one and has haste uh this is just a really good one drop because it's a raging goblin which sucks but 
But then it makes all your other creatures a Raging Goblin attached to it. <laughs> it's so generous that they get the pump as well as the haste on yeah, the equipment. Yeah, the pump is so huge. Yeah. This is the kind of one drop that makes me want to build a red deck. And the fact that, you know, we were talking last episode, like, yeah, maybe it's get maybe red's getting some one drops, but does it have like any other reason to be red? And we got a couple of good fours and we got this very good one drop and another like potentially playable one drop. And there's like enough stuff that I'm I'm really into the idea. But yeah, this card is just so efficient and so good. It's gonna see play in a lot of formats. Maybe not going back to like modern, but certainly historic, potentially in pioneer. It it just like it's so cheap, it does the thing, and then it gives all of your stuff haste if you have an extra mana and pumps it too. It's so generous. Also for older formats with a lot of equipments or artifacts energy, not necessarily equipment synergy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lightning Greaves is pretty bad, yeah. even though it's got that equip cost of zero, because it's two mana up front, which is a lot, and then mm-hmm. Shroud is pretty annoying sometimes, because you can't target whatever you've Lightning Greaves. <laughs> sure. The ma- main thing you're using it for is haste, and if you can figure out like a red deck that wants to use this card, possibly as an equipment package, like that, that's another option you have. I'm not saying it's good, but it exists now. Yeah. You know, we were not not we were, but people were trying Oswald Fiddlebender Lightning Greaves decks. This might be something for those decks. Also, just like if you have Urza Saga in your deck, giving your Saga tokens haste can make your opponent very dead very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's true. And you don't have to play Lightning Greaves. And you don't have plus. to play Lightning Greaves. I mean, it's great when Lightning Greaves is on the battlefield and all, but then. Right. You have to draw it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and obviously there is a difference between costing one mana to equip and costing zero mana to equip when you're giving a thing haste and you had to pay the mana to get that thing onto the battlefield that turn. But, like, and that that's one of the reasons, like, you know, Rabbit Battery is best in formats or in decks where that Raging Goblin on turn one is actually going to put your opponent into Matters. a little bit of a hole. And if you're an aggressive red deck... That couple of free damage off of the Raging Goblin, and then it's a real permanent. Like, that's you, a- you never actually want to deal with Raging Goblin. You just want it to be like a casualty of your growing battlefield where they mm-hmm. can't attack with it anymore. So it's invalidated. Yeah. But Rabbit Battery doesn't get invalidated because right. it just gives further creatures more power and haste. Yeah. Like, that's if, what makes it strong. If you're playing at Sushi in your red deck, and then at some point you draw it in the mid game, and you just you know, I've got five lands in play. Oh, I actually am totally happy that I drew five lands this game. I'm going to attack you for five now. That's yeah, exactly. Very strong. There are so many good red one drops in this set, strangely enough. Yeah. Like red could be a real deck in, in standard now. Uh, but my number one is a card I really, really like that seems powerful to me. I have a, uh, a good guess of what this card is. Uh, it's not a secret. <laughs> it's experimental synthesizer. Yeah, another common. Yep, another common. Uh, It's a red mana artifact. When it enters or leaves the battlefield, you exile the top card of your library. Until end of turn, you can play that card. So lands are included in that. You can also pay two and a red and sacrifice it to make a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance, but you can only activate that ability as a sorcery. So CCR. Mm -hmm. You know I've always been saying what I've wanted from the Kamigawa set was a, a red artifact that draws a card uh, samurai icker wellspring right <laughs> i've I, always again, been saying this 
similar to the reality chip, just a collection of words that I would never have thought would be on a card together. Right. I, I This card is not like a standard all-star or whatever. It's clearly for older formats mm-hmm. that have a lot of artifact synergies. Uh, I know Ross Merriam's really high on this card. He wrote an article about it. He was talking about it on Twitter. He is a enjoyer of Icker Wellspring value-esque <laughs> stuff. And this is an Icker Wellspring that costs one mana. Yeah, one mana is huge. It also has an out. Like Icker Wellspring you play is a very specific card. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only ever time you ever see it in deck lists is when something sinister is going on. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of scary. I mean, or, the only you know, time you ever doesn't know what's going see on. it in deck lists really is when those decks have KCI in them. Like it hasn't been in True. any like actual decks, not K- but but that's very. I, I've seen it in some older historic decks right after Kaladesh released. Sure, y- yeah, I get your point. Like like you have to be really doing it for Acre Wellspring to work. You have to be doing it as hard as KCI was doing it, and that is not quite the case for Experimental Synthesizer. It's a little more generous because it's a, just half the mana. Yes, which is huge. The fact that Acre Wellspring costs two. It is a bummer because you throw it on the battlefield, you get your card. You don't have to cast it right away. It's a good draw card thing, mm-hmm. but you never get value out of it. It slows you down so much yeah. that you need something on the caliber of KCI to recoup your value from it, recoup your value from it. Experimental Synthesizer does not ask you to sink so much tempo into it, though you do have to cast the card right away, so you often want open mana. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can play it early and just leave it on the battlefield for artifact synergy stuff and then cashed in later either with itself which Mm -hmm. either wellspring does not offer at all or a different card to then get the card back it it makes a world of difference yeah i agree completely i'm super hot this is also my number one card just because the potential is there the like there's just a lot sitting there in this card if you have ways to sacrifice it then great like it can just give you so much for one mana you can also kind of ignore the you can't straight up ignore the artifact synergies because it's a big part of the card but it's also a red cantrip mm-hmm. like you play it later in the game when you have mana and you get a card out of it and then maybe the next turn you get a samurai out of it and yeah. maybe another card like it, it does a lot there's actually a sacrifice outlet for it in this set so maybe you know that the red black artifact yeah with oni cult out anvil maybe in standard maybe in historic or something there's something that you can put together that just just not quite like what we've seen before obviously in like historic or pioneer you want to be blue because like emery exists but maybe there's other options for what you want to do you can goblin engineer in modern i guess mm-hmm. if you want to keep it non-blue but you probably shouldn't do that <laughs> i mean I, I think modern has so many possibilities that That's i true. i can't really predict what is going to be the best way of using this there's just like every color has weird artifact stuff now so except for green yeah, wait until the next color <laughs> <laughs> my list is almost identical to yours oh so, really they yeah. see i have so many other cards in red that are like didn't make my list mm-hmm. because I, I liked these the more yeah but. but they were also just the ones that i happened to like the most yeah. too like i also have invoke calamity at number five because it's you know the speculative but cool one i do have thundering raiju at four this is okay two red red for three three haste 
When it attacks, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control, then it deals X damage to each opponent, where X is the number of modified creatures you control other than Thundering Raiju. So it's just doing this like little Hellrider-ish impression. It's, you know, almost certainly less powerful than Hellrider, but it, you know, there are some cases where it's slightly better, but it just hits really hard and can do a lot of damage and can be a, a decent top end depending on what kind of stuff your opponents are playing as removal. The second one especially is probably game over. <laughs> yeah, that's true. My number three is Atsushi the Blazing Sky. I, I think that's the default four drop for the red decks, but if haste becomes like a real oh, my opponents are playing lots of like sweepers and sorcery speed removal and stuff, then maybe the haste creature becomes better. But I think Atsushi is kind of the default just because the raw power level is really high. I also uh, get to subsidize the haste a lot with the rabbit. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. Uh, and then my number two is Rabbit Battery, and my number one is Experimental Synthesizer. So I just I like these very cheap red cards that do completely different things, but one mana is about the right cost for Magic the Gathering cards. Which is why it's so careless of me to overlook the black mana enchantment <laughs> right? when I needed black cards. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then green, green was a little bit of a struggle. I think green was worse than black, as much as we, you know, hurt black yes earlier in the podcast. I do think there are a couple of cards in here that are just like, oh yeah, that's just a solid role player and that will be good. So I don't know. My number five for green is Invoke the Ancients. So we're just like getting all of these, <laughs> just pretending they don't cost four of a color in their mana cost, which basically removes them from consideration. This is one GGGG. For a sorcery, create two, four, five green spirit creature tokens. For each of them, put your choice of a vigilance counter or reach counter or a trample counter on it. I think this might actually be better than Renin 7 in mono green if you want a five, because it's just a lot of immediate power with, with abilities. Like you can choose trample or vigilance if you don't want reach on them. And I also saw Ozzy... Matthew Vuk tweeting about the possibility of this card in Legacy, which I just like cannot possibly see. But for what deck? I I don't un for a Bant control deck. I can't see it. <laughs> I don't understand it. But Ozzy is incredibly good at Legacy and super knowledgeable about the format. So me not being able to see it really doesn't mean anything. The responses to the thread were pretty much just like I do not understand this. So, but. He's also like one of the most knowledgeable legacy guys, so I'll just sort of defer to him that this is closer to playable than you could possibly think by reading the card. I hope the formats the Seeps plays in are exactly standard in legacy. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, my number four is Weaver of Harmony. This is one in a green for a 2-2 enchantment creature snake druid. Other enchantment creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and green tap, copy target activated or triggered ability you control from, from an enchantment source. You may choose new targets for the copy, uh, like about the right costing for an enchantment creature lord, because that's a very <laughs> specific thing. But what that is, is saying like, this goes really well with the Kamigawa Sagas, because you get additional abilities out of them. He gets to copy those abilities. And then when they turn into creatures, they get plus one, plus one. And, you know, I'm happy to play a Binding the Old Gods and then just, like, copy each of the abilities off of my Binding the Old Gods as they happen. So maybe not the Death Touch one, but the, the first two. 
Well, I mean, you're not going to let that double death touch value go to waste, are you? <laughs> By tapping one of my creatures, so I really can't attack with death touch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, this card's fine. I, I looked at it briefly before deciding that enchantment creatures were far too specific, and the Kamigawa sagas were yeah, they're just really hard to make work. Not a lot of them made this list. So. Yeah. But green is a little bit shallow, so this two mana like it basically it massively enables some weird deck that probably doesn't exist but if it exists is because this thing massively enables it so my number three is kura the boundless sky three gg for a four four flying death touch legendary dragon spirit when it dies choose one search your library for up to three land cards reveal them put them into your hand then shuffle or create an XX green spirit creature token where X is the number of lands you control. It feels like this just costs one mana too much for what it is. But well, I, I will say I didn't realize you could get non-basics from this card. Right. So you can grab a bunch of the Kamigawa lands and then channel them if you want to. Yeah. So that is pretty cool. If this said basic on it, I it just... Like, it would only have one mode when it dies, and that would be really, really bad. So, yes, but I that is honestly what I thought it said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I thought when I read it for the very first time, and it was just like, why would you ever put this in your deck over Ren and Seven? And I think it's still mostly like that. But, you know, there's some possibility here. Wow, Ren and Seven puts the channel lands into your hand when you hit them with its plus. All sure right. It does. Ooh, baby. <laughs> that card might still be good when this set comes out who knows who yeah who knows but yeah Kara's like maybe fine but kind of does feel like it costs one mana too much so i yeah uh my number two so my my last two are like very unexciting role-playing commons so okay. my, my number two is commune with spirits that's one green mana for a sorcery. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an enchantment or a land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This just looks at four cards for one mana if you're in the specific deck that this effect is good in. And you got to be running a lot of enchantments in your deck for it to be good. But if you are, if you're the Fires of Invent... Like, if you're a Fires of Invention Enigmatic Incarnation deck, like, that deck is so much better when it draws Fires of Invention. And having a one-mana cantrip that digs four towards your Fires of Invention is a real thing. I wish it dug five. Yeah, that's a lot for one mana, though. Yeah, but enchantments suck, so, like... I know. But if if your deck is already enchantments, digging four is pretty good. And this can also put the land into your hand. So... It can't. You know, that's that's super, super key that looking at four to find a land like you're going to find a land. So I I think that this card sees play in the it can't just be an enchantment heavy deck. I think it needs to be basically a almost all enchantment deck. But this card becomes very good in that deck. All right. What's your last role playing common? It is careful cultivation. Two and a green for an aura, enchant artifact or creature. As long as enchanted permanent is a creature, it gets plus one, plus three, and has reach and tap, add GG. And then it has, yes. So none of that text is remotely playable. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it has channel one in the green, discard it, create a one one green human monk creature token with tap add a G. So, I mean, this is where we're at. The top the top green card is a flash two mana mana creature, but I think that's like okay. Your opponent, I, I think it's not that good, but. It is going to mess up a lot of people who are just like, oh, my opponent skipped their turn too. I'm going to do this thing instead of holding up removal. And you just like, I'm, I'm going to make my mana guy. And it also can't get Jawari disruptioned, which is like weirdly very nice. And I think this card is pretty fine. It is weird that the main part of the card just does absolutely nothing. But so this card also works with uh, polymorph effects. What's the triple red one? Oh, that's really true. That's a very good point. Indomitable creativity. Yes, indomitable creativity. So this card actually works quite well with indomitable creativity. That's a good point. Uh, I don't know how impactful it is Mm -hmm. because green mana is not super desirable. Like you you have to fetch it early for red and six. So channeling this card is not a real problem. Mm Mm-hmm. But you kind of have to immediately then cash it out to Polymorph with because I don't know how much leverage like a, essentially a colorless mana gets you. Maybe it is really good and maybe just pushing the turn cycle for Indomitable Creativity just one turn faster is just completely worth it, mm-hmm. which I could see. I'm just not sure. <laughs> yeah. Right, because you can actually use it for... So unlike, you know, you can't use your treasures for mana for your indomitable creativity. So this does something that kind of no other cards do for exactly that. Uh, So I, yeah, I I could definitely see it, actually. That sounds very good. I particularly want to try that in Historic because the indomitable creativity in Historic is just a little clunky. And I think this might go a long way. Yeah, that's fair. I... I actually also have this card as my number one specifically for that interaction. Sure. I think it's also just good in standard too. Just as a mana guy. Okay. I'm I'm not sure, but I, I think casting a mana guy as an instant is just gonna like give your opponent who like isn't playing very well like serious problems. <laughs> it is neat that you can like make them play differently, but at a certain point, you like pass on turn two, and your opponent's like, oh, "All right, I yeah, so I'll hold that. this up. I'll hold up this shock." <laughs> yes, specifically though, I do think that this is really good versus red aggressive decks, like way better than regular mana guys, because you have like a serious choice of do I kill the mana guy, do I play my thing, and if they haven't played the mana guy, you kind of just have to play your creatures out. Like this is the way you get a mana guy to survive versus a red deck. So I think that's like a real consideration. That's fair. Oh, my number five is Invoke the Ancients. <laughs> Mostly because it's a five drop you can play in mono green. There's mm-hmm. no real other reason. Yep. Look, there's not a lot of good green cards in the set. As we can see by the, another common that is uh, topic our charts here. I don't have Kura on my list at all because of the... I just misread it. I thought it was basic lands. That's fair. So Invoke the Ancients is my like... Maybe you can play this instead of Ren 7 somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think it's super likely. But, I mean, if, you, if you're in the market for a bunch of bodies, maybe you can do that. My number four is just a card I like. It's uh, Kappa Tech Cricker. 
This is a one energy one three turtle ninja uh, with ninjutsu one energy. It enters the battlefield with a death touch counter on it, and whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you can remove a death touch counter from it when you do exile target artifact or enchantment that player controls. Mm-hmm. I think this is mostly worse than Outland Liberator, I think is the name of the card, in the sideboard slot of that like creature that deals with an artifact or enchantment just because yeah. it does it straight up without any fuss right but kappa tech record does have neat little synergies because of ninjutsu possibly with a seekers chariot that that's kind of like a stretch goal because <laughs> yeah. that card often gets blocked <laughs> but if you can ever get extra cats out of a seekers chariot you're doing it i don't have much to say about this card other than that it's just like kind of worse than a card we already have yeah i didn't have very many options but naturalizing is good naturalizing on a creature is often a thing it's just that we do have good options for that but like this is pretty efficient and it's also a two mana death touch creature that's a one three so it doesn't it's not a dead sideboard slot even if you like you can board this in against creature decks right right which outline liberty is not as good against yeah I'm I'm really not selling it hard here because there's nothing to sell. Uh, Let's yeah. just <laughs> Kami of Transience is my number two, or my number three, excuse me. It's a one G two two creature spirit with trample, the good old trample grizzly bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever you cast an enchantment spell, so again, not a come to play one. Yeah. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. And at the beginning of each end step, if an enchantment was put into your graveyard from the battlefield this turn. You can return a copy of Transients from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, I have this and my next card as kind of Enchantress deck role players. Uh, This is just kind of a sticky threat when Mm -hmm. they deal with your enchantments. It doesn't matter which turn it's on. You always get a creature back and it can be a threat, especially since these decks typically want to play enchantments constantly. (laughs) Yes. It is too bad, though, that this wasn't an alchemy card that keeps the plus one, plus one counters. That would yeah, be perpetual. Yeah, that would be nice. Alas, <laughs> sometimes getting it back in the mid game and it's a two, two. And then like maybe you turn it into a three, three is just going to be like, all right, I didn't really get anywhere with this thing. It is a free card if you're discarding to solitary confinement. So that's not Oof. the worst. OK, but there's better ways to do that. So it's more just like. I said, like I said, a role player than like a card I'm particularly sure gung ho about. Yeah, but you know, it does it does a thing for mm-hmm. a deck, which is neat. More than I can say for a lot of other cards. Yeah, my number two is honestly in the same vein. It's the Dragon Kami Reborn. This is a two energy saga. Chapters one and two are the same. It's you gain two life. Look at the top three cards of your library. Exile one of them face down with a hatchling counter on it and put the rest on the bottom of your library. Chapter three, it transforms. Transforms into a dragon Kami's egg, which is an 01 enchantment creature egg. Whenever dragon Kami's egg or a dragon you control dies, you can cast a creature spell from among the cards you own in exile with hatching counters on them without paying their mana cost. So my idea of putting this on my list was you can use this in an enchantress deck specifically to dig for enchantresses while still being an enchantment that does something. Mm -hmm. I think it's mostly not a good card because it costs too much mana and it's too conditional on the egg dying. Yeah. But it theoretically has a function, which Mm -hmm. is something I was really looking for in these great cards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and you can kill off your egg with your enigmatic incarnation. 
Yeah, and get a four drop, like another <laughs> enigmatic incarnate. <laughs> uh, I wish, I really wish this card could get creatures or enchantments. I think that would make it actually playable. Yeah. Not even good, just playable. Yeah. Then it would be uh, something that I'd be really interested in building around in an enchantment deck. But the fact that you really want to have like expensive creatures in your deck and also like some synergies with the enchantment side of this. It, it makes it really hard, yeah. I, I also really dislike the design of this card that you get two cards off of it, but you're only ever getting one unless you have a dragon Another in the play that dies, that which is like, this excuse is, me? This is a green card. Like putting dragon synergies onto your green card is just such a kind of whack thing to do. Like, come on anyway my number one is the same card it is it's careful cultivation specifically for the yeah polymorph interaction yeah that makes a lot of sense i guess you can have a a changeling die for the the dragon death trigger you can have your masked vandal die so you can get something off of it yep yep sure can yep i'm not particularly hyped for that who do I do multicolor? How, how do you want to do this? Because I know, I think I only have multicolor slash colorless cards. You've got a bunch more than I do. Uh, yeah, some. It, we'll just like talk about cards, I guess. I don't know. All right, let me go first. Because I, I just have a clean five for this category. And then you can go off however you want. Sure. All right. So my number five for this combined category is Hidetsugu Consumes All. Mm-hmm. This is a 1BR saga. Chapter 1 is destroy each non-land permanent with mana value 1 or less. Chapter 2 is exile all graveyards. And Chapter 3 transforms it. On the back side, it's Vessel of the All-Consuming, an enchantment ogre shaman. With Trample, it's a 3-3. Whenever Vessel of the All-Consuming deals damage to anything, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. And whenever Vessel of the All-Consuming deals damage to a player, if it has dealt 10 or more damage to that player this turn, they lose the game. So that's almost literally flavor text. <laughs> it's uh, like that category of card that like just tells you what it does. Like Vernal Bloom, whenever you tap a forest for mana, add a G to your mana pool. Yeah, I know. That's what happens when you add a, when you tap a forest for mana. Like whenever this deals 10 damage to them, they lose the game. Yeah, I know. That's what happens when you deal 10 damage to somebody with a creature. They lose the game. When Stalking Yeti enters the battlefield, if it's on, <laughs> if the, it's battlefield. on the battlefield. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, it, if you're dealing 10 damage with this thing, they die. Cause this is, but they extra die. Because this has dealt damage like six times to get to that <laughs> point. <laughs> well, you can deal damage to their creatures if they chump block it a lot, I guess. Because yeah. it does grow from chumps. Yeah, I think you win that game too. Well, yeah, that's why it's flavor text. <laughs> But mostly I'm looking at this on the the three mana side that destroys all construct tokens and artifacts that cost one or less and all, all mm-hmm. the stuff you would expect to see in modern as kind of like a sideboard hammer for that kind of card. Yeah. Because Meltdown is not in modern at all, uh, which you see in legacy sideboards specifically to deal with our saga. Right. Yeah. So that's that's neat on that end. Also, a lot of the Urza Saga decks happen to be Luris decks, so getting their graveyard after the fact is pretty good the problem i believe i discussed in the previous episode is that red black decks are almost always Luris yeah. decks in modern and any and deck that would want them. this effect is just a Luris deck well you know like yeah. the decks that want to play this and 
want to use it like as a mirror breaker or like it's just more important to have Luris in your sideboard than to play cards like this. It's such a catch-22. Card so good against Luris and yet is unplayable because of Luris. Yeah, because the only types of decks that want a grindy card like this, you're just better off playing Luris. Well, the only thing that beats a bad guy with a Luris is a good guy with a Luris. Which ones are the good guys with the Luris? I don't know. You'll have to tell me. Yeah. It's a rough, <laughs> I'm still looking for them. Rough scenario we've built for ourselves here. All right. Moving on to another card I like a lot. Uh, it's number four, an Oni Cult Anvil. Mm-hmm. This is a red-black artifact. Whenever one or more artifacts you control leave the battlefield during your turn, create a 1-1 colorless artifact creature construct token. This ability only triggers once each turn. <laughs> So <laughs> you only get it once during your turn only, but you get a 1-1. One, one. And it's got a tap ability. You can tap it and sack an artifact to have the anvil deal one damage to each opponent and you gain one life. Yep. What's neat about this card is that it is its own sacrifice outlet, so it is self-perpetuating. You can sacrifice the tokens it makes to keep draining your opponent. Mm-hmm. It does artifact synergies just built in. It also works with uh, bounce effects. In, in that vein like if you get rid of an artifact without just destroying it or sacrificing this card still triggers mm-hmm. it's just a solid role player it's a free sacrifice outlet is primarily why i like it yep and also it is fine in multiples which is kind of nice because you just get an extra drain each turn and also an extra trigger each turn like you're happy to draw a bunch of these yeah and and you can grind with the tokens like a hidden stockpile showed us mm-hmm which was a, a card that also gave you a 1-1 one, one every turn. Yeah. I mean, this feels really similar to Hidden Stockpile to me. So if we end up in a format where doing this very grindy artifact thing, and this just like, you know, it handles itself. It's like a really efficient package where it does a lot of the work for you. It also lets you sacrifice Experimental Synthesizer. So yes, huge shout out to that card. I mean, that's really good if, you, if you're putting that together. If you're able to build a deck where you've got that stuff going on, like, for sure, that is great food for the anvil. My number three is Tamio, the Completed Sage. For two GU and then a Phyrexian hybrid mana of green-blue. But Phyrexian mana can be paid for either a blue, a green, or two life. But if you pay it for two life, it comes into play with two fewer loyalty counters. And so it's either five mana for a five loyalty planeswalker or four mana and two life for a three loyalty planeswalker. Plus one is tap up to one target creature or artifact. It doesn't untap during its control to tap step. Minus X, exile target an online permanent card with mana value X from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of that card. And minus seven, create Tamio's Notebook, a legendary colorless artifact token with spells you cast, cost two less to cast, and tap draw a card. Whew, this card does a lot. <laughs> I think we talked about this actually quite a lot last episode it just is really efficient for both of us costs because the first ability is so good at stabilizing and letting you use the other abilities while the the mine the middle ability the make a token from something that's died just kind of patches the holes in what you would be doing in a tamio deck mm-hmm. i don't know what deck is interested in a green i don't know what a green blue deck is right now in the standard format but if such a deck exists, this Planeswalker is very good. Yep. I I think so too. Just 
kind of flexible between four and five mana and like races to races up to a pretty powerful ultimate as long as they don't have a naturalize and just does a good job of potentially spreading out your threats on the table if you have something good in your graveyard particularly in a Seeker's chariot i think is like fantastic in combination with this card but yeah it does depend on there being that like blue green mid-rangey deck that synergizes with it or even like a bant control deck if that exists mm-hmm. this is a really good card in control decks because to me the moon sage was in hard format <laughs> yeah it's i mean we've come a long way from the like play a five mana planeswalker in your control deck that like ticks up and sort of deals with you know it's just well that was the old tamio mm-hmm. when that's all she did right this one actually that's does a true. lot more than that i i think you do really want to have some amount of permanence that you're like happy to bring back with her and yeah i, mean, I was thinking more of like a mid-rangey control deck than just a straight up mm-hmm. control control deck but yeah yeah i get what you're saying i mean it's still depends on such a deck existing <laughs> so we'll see what streets of new Capenna brings because i don't i don't think it's in the cards right now yeah makes sense but i i will be like has absolute possibility for the future so my number two is reckoner Bankbuster, <laughs> which is a card whose name i cannot stand because it doesn't seem like it does anything <laughs> that the card does <laughs> which is like a maze mind told uh, reckoner Bankbuster is a two mana 4-4 four, four vehicle with crew 3, but it enters the battlefield with 3 charge counters on it, and you can pay 2 and tap it and remove a charge counter from it to draw a card. Then, if there are no charge counters on it, you make a treasure token and a 1-1 one, one pilot token with this creature can grow vehicles as though it's power 2 or greater. So, it's a maze mind tome with, without the scry ability or the life gain. You just two mana to play this then you pay two to draw cards mm-hmm. the last time you do it because you can only do it three times you make a pilot and a treasure notably which is what i thought when i first read this card you cannot keep activating it to make a treasure and a pilot mm-hmm. because you have to have a charge counter on it to activate it yeah so you you get this card three times and on the very last one you get a, a token you get two tokens i think this card is <laughs> kind of weird yeah because a maze mind tome is not a maze mind tome and in a vehicle is such a weird combination to be on the same card that you don't really expect them to be in the same deck but i view this card mostly as a i think it kind of works because it does make a token that can crew itself so that it's actually useful mm-hmm the treasure token's wild to me. I don't know why it makes that. <laughs> <laughs> you put a you put a lot of mana into this thing. We're gonna give you a little bit back. It's it's like a a baker's dozen. You get the thirteenth one for free. <laughs> so, I I did think about this card. I think that in a you know so talking about it in like two different decks, a deck that wants the vehicle side and a deck that wants the maze mind tome side. So thinking about it in a deck that wants the Maze Mind Tome side and then this like crews itself mostly and sometimes you have some incidental creatures that could crew it or something. The scry functionality of the Maze Mind Tome was so important to that card. And the fact that this doesn't do anything except for when you pump mana into it makes me really reluctant to want to put this card into a deck. I, I understand. I kind of 
see it playing the role that treasure map not really treasure map but treasure map did in like those Mm -hmm. uh black decks that didn't really have anything else going on for them in card advantage wise Mm -hmm. that's kind of where i see this card it's like all right i'm not playing blue and i can't play experimental synthesizers so i'm gonna play kind of a a clunky card advantage card but i can make use of the vehicle so bad decks yes i mean there's a place for those (laughs) yeah everyone plays them yep no no i yeah I mean, hey, you, you get your hotshot mechanic in your mono white deck and uh-huh. you, you're playing a grindy mm. matchup, you can board these in, crew it with one creature. Then you get the option of attacking or, or toming. It's just a little mana intensive for me uh, without like a real buyout from doing that. But yeah, I could I could kind of see it like the games where you go maze mind tome and it is good, you you know, in the control mirrors where it's just like, I just want to activate this maze mind tome and each turn for two mana like you know those are the games where you want the maze mind tome and the games where the maze mind tome is really good and so maybe this can have some analogs there maybe it could be a sideboard card something like that but i do think there's like a lot of times a lot of matchups where it's like pretty bad if they're ever attacking you this is like you know this isn't a card that has like two roles it plays and they're good in different situations like if they have a creature in play that is attacking you then both halves of this card are like very bad yeah i think it's more of a role player than like a generically powerful card yeah for sure yeah but my number one is certainly a very powerful role player Uh (laughs) (laughs) it's uh where is it iron apprentice okay this is a one mana zero zero <laughs> artifact construct. Enters <laughs> the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter. <laughs> yep. And when it dies, if it had counters on it, you put those counters on target creature you control. Is this a strictly better arcbound worker? Almost. <laughs> the printing of Zabaz means that the actual modular keyword matters. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't really do that. But it is. It is a really good arcbound worker. <laughs> well, it's mostly it, an arcbound worker, but yes. Hey, you can put the counters on your ingenious smith because it does not specify artifact creatures. Are we? But playing also, ingenious stop smith playing ingenious our... smith yeah. in your hardened scales decks. Yeah. I think it's the most defensible in hardened scales decks, but that doesn't mean it's good. Mm-hmm. But I do see it. <laughs> yep, it's an arcbound worker. Sometimes you want that. Sometimes you want eight of that. Sometimes you want nine of that or yep. ten of that. Yep. And now you can do that. The cheap ones, the cheap counters that you can move around that are artifacts, mm-hmm. perfect. It's all you care about. I have nothing to add. It's just a playable card. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's pretty cute. Also, Arcbound Worker isn't legal in some of the formats that Arden Scales is legal in. So That is true. Like if you want to do it in Pioneer or what have you. Mm-hmm. Or even Historic. Hard Scales is legal in Historic. Yep. I know that for a fact. Walking Ballista isn't, though, which makes Hardened Skills a, like, way less exciting card. Uh, why would Walking Ballista be legal and historic? It's not even on Arena. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, also, my number one for real are all the channel lands. Yes. I didn't bother to rank or list them because they're all extremely good. You just play them where you can, and they pay you off. And if you are doing Ren and Six stuff or whatever, then they're a little bit better. But, you know, you just fit them into whatever mana base you can and they they give you stuff. Yep. That's, I mean, 
they're they're good play them <laughs> yes uh the blue one in particular i am higher on now that i realize that it is a way to eot bounce their teferi time reveler and yeah that's that's a a really nice option to have they're also yep, all I, uncounterable notably so most notably i think for the the blue one yes, <laughs> which right. is the bounce spell yes because paying four mana to bounce their teferi you really want that to work and that's really good that it does all right well you regale us with whatever collection of cards you have left yeah sure so like some multicolor ones that i have left i also had oni call out anvil hidetsuka consumes all although unfortunately i think the realities of the modern format leave that <laughs> basically unplayable the there yeah but if Luris ever gets banned, then I think that this becomes a really powerful choice. Don't worry. I'm praying every night that that happens. <laughs> yes. uh, I've got Tamiyo on my list as well. I've got Kaito Shizuki. So this is the one blue-black ninja planeswalker. A three loyalty at the beginning of your end step. If it entered the battlefield this turn, it phases out. Plus one, draw a card, then discard a card unless you attack this turn. Minus two, create a 1-1 one, one blue ninja creature token with this creature can't be blocked. And minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a blue or black creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. So I, I think there's just like a lot of different use cases for this card, especially given the fact that it's three mana which is a really sweet spot for Planeswalkers generally, especially Planeswalkers that can't be attacked the turn they come down. And the fact that this can come down, it can make its ninja, and then it can draw a card. And then if you just, like, can control the battlefield from there, then you just get to keep drawing cards off of it. And that's, like, really, really good. And it only costs three mana, so it seems powerful to me. You don't have to have a lot for a three meta planeswalker to be acceptable. Yeah. Like there's a very low bar. <laughs> yes. We we found the line with Jace Cunning Castaway, but I don't think Kaido <laughs> Shizuki quite finds that line. <laughs> yeah, and I was obviously like I applied my heuristic of like three mana planeswalker basically needs to do nothing to be good, and unfortunately Cunning Castaway did actually nothing, so that wasn't good enough. Uh this one draws cards though. And it doesn't die immediately. It can just not die immediately. Yes, the, it just can't get attacked the turn you play it. That feels so key to me. And I, uh, I think, yeah, I think this card's pretty good. I'm a little. I, I do think it's this card's fine. I'm a, I'm a little worried that you, it, it'll be hard to build a blue black deck. Mm-hmm. That's not like Kaido's fault or anything. Yeah. I just think the cards that are in the format right now, it can be a little tricky. Yeah. I think it'll take a little iteration to find a case of shell. I do like this, like with Sedgemore Witch, just like Sedgemore Witch creating blockers for it and then also making it very easy to not have to discard a card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, <laughs> maybe these two cards don't go together, but if you are just discarding cards, something like Leer mm-hmm. does let you just get all your graveyard back. Sure. Also, this with Moon Circuit Hacker, you have like multiple ways of drawing and discarding cards. So if there are things that you want to put into your graveyard, then like you have you can have options to do that. And I don't know, we don't have reanimates or anything like that, but discarding cards can often be something that you can turn to your advantage. So uh, we we do have reanimate. It's Junji the Midnight Sky. Ah, uh, yes. Get it play and Perfect. Kill it. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just imagining like 
boy, I really need to thought seize my opponent. My Junji the Midnight Sky was a a ninja the whole time. <laughs> I've also got Colossal Sky Turtle on my list. This is, is that the Simic channel card? Yeah. Yeah. So this is four GGU for a six five flying ward two with two channel abilities. Tune a green and discard it to return target card from your graveyard to your hand. So, you know, how far we've come from uh what is collect? Yeah. <laughs> from from two energy sorcery return target card from your graveyard to your hand so now it's just one of the channel abilities on this card and then its other one is one in a blue and it's an unsummon so obviously it would be too good for that ability to be a bounce a non-land permanent but that is what you know the the part of me that wants to play this card really wishes it were but that would be too powerful of a card this is just like a lot of options on a thing that you don't hit when you cascade. I don't know exactly where that puts it, but it is also an enchantment creature. So when you do channel, it puts two types into your graveyard for whatever that might be relevant for. It's just multiple options. If there's like a grindier, like Bant living end deck, then I'm like pretty hyped to have this. And the crab in that deck is sort of like a basis for that. I don't really know what this does, but it just seems like there's too many ingredients here. It's also blue and green, so you can exile it for Force of Negation or Force of Vigor or Endurance uh, or Subtlety. Like, I, I think that's actually like pretty relevant on a card like this. Yeah, because you have to get, usually with the cycling cards, mm -hmm. they replace themselves, they draw a card. Mm -hmm. For these, <laughs> being gold is pretty important because you can actually use, you can get card by using them with other stuff yeah so i don't know exactly what it does but i am hyped to like try it out with a very different type of living end deck in particular so i don't think it just like slots into the living end deck that you already have though no it also once you living end the game is going to be over pretty quickly though you don't need a, <laughs> a big battlefield with these six five flyers with yeah. ward yeah uh i the only artifact that i have is containment construct so this Ooh, is, I like this card. Yeah. So this is two for an artifact creature construct. Whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. If you do, you may play that card this turn. This is just a potentially like wildly powerful triggered ability. The use that I've seen that's most like, oh, okay, that is a way to use it is Artificer's Intuition with Lion's Eye Diamond. And so Artificer's Intuition is one in a blue for an enchantment. You can pay blue and discard an artifact to search your library for an artifact card with CMC one or less and put it into your hand. So you just like make a ton of mana that way with this. But the fact that like, oh, that's that works. That's such an obvious use. I feel like there's just other stuff where discarding cards and then you can play them this turn. You could potentially go up a lot of cards. I don't know what they are, but it's a potentially powerful ability. It gives all your cards madness, essentially. Yeah, which maybe that's not a good enough thing for constructed, but the fact that it gives like your zero mana artifacts madness, it, there's potential for broken stuff here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, anytime you can make cards change zones at low cost. Mm -hmm. I think that is a good place to look for like a strong strategy or like a strong starting point. Yeah. And this card allows you to minimize the cost of discarding cards to nothing. Yeah. Kind of neat. Don't know exactly what to do with it. There is also Patchwork Automaton, 
which is like ingenious Smith, but it has all the upside and none of the, it has like the, the high ceiling and a way lower floor than ingenious Smith. So it's two for an artifact creature construct with ward two. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on patchwork automaton. So it potentially could get really big in a way that ingenious Smith cannot, but it obviously doesn't give you a card, but ward two means it's like really obnoxious to kill this thing. It also doesn't work with artifact lands like Ingenious Smith does. That's true. Because you have to you have to cast the spells. That's true. So probably not great, but it has the potential to get really big. So who knows? Channel lands are obviously busted and going to be really good. But just to note that we do have a couple extra lands that are relevant. Uncharted Haven. Oh, no, that's not the right one. I just okay. grabbed the wrong thing. But there is a... There's a creature type land in this secluded set. courtyard. Yes, secluded courtyard, which is unless you're referring to the vehicle creature land. <laughs> well, I do also have this just on here because, like, that's actually okay. So, mech hanger is the vehicle land. Tap to add a colorless. Tap to add one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast a pilot or a vehicle spell. Three tap target vehicle becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. The ability to crew your vehicles with a land. I do think makes them like a lot more reliable and it, you know, reduces the deck building cost and the like downside of having vehicles in your deck. If you get wrathed, but you have a vehicle and this land in play, you kind of didn't get wrathed. This can also just career a Seekers chariot, which is a vehicle. So, which is something that I probably didn't spend enough time thinking about with the vehicle synergies cards is that a Seekers chariot is a vehicle. <laughs> Yeah, hotshot pilot can crew a Seekers Chariot all by its lonesome. Wait, hold on. A Seekers Chariot can crew a Seekers Chariot all by its lonesome. Yeah, but then you have to tap two creatures mm -hmm. instead of just one. <laughs> That's a power advantage. A power play, if you will. Yes. But I do think Mech Hanger is actually pretty good. Yeah, that's solid. I I think vehicles other than a Seekers Chariot are on the low end of playability. I think the only one I... <laughs> cared to mention was the the maze mine tome well and the the black one right oh yeah the black one's a vehicle too man i just forgot about black cards <laughs> sorry basically if there are good enough vehicles then i think this is good and that kind of remains to be seen but we do already have one of the best cards in the format as a vehicle which is the, the, an okay starting place and then yeah there is also secluded courtyard which is a cavern of souls that is uncommon instead of a million dollars and doesn't give the uncounterable thing. So as it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type, tap, add a colorless, tap, add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast a creature spell of the chosen type or for some reason to activate an ability of a creature or creature card of the chosen type. But what this also means is that you never have to have any ancient ziggurat ether vial draws ever again. So that's really nice. Finally, we're free from the oppression of drawing an Aether Vial on an Ancient Ziggurat. <laughs> well, we're already free from the oppression of drawing an Aether Vial because that card is not playable in a prismatic ending format. Yeah. Oh, well. I don't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> you never played it. That is not true. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever played it in Constructed, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, ultimate takeaway from this section is that the channel ends are... They're in this Fantastic. set and you're going to see them forever. They're very good. They're very good. They're maybe not like ubiquitously. If you're in this color, you should play this in eternal formats, like, like fetch land formats. 
but they're not it's like you should always consider them when building a deck yeah i feel like basically every deck is gonna have one or two like just a slot or two is gonna be one of these because you could fit it especially the green and blue ones mm-hmm. i think are the the huge winners because those colors are really good for untapped mana sources and their effects are strong yeah yeah i think that that is right and the blue just man having an answer to teferi it's really 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 good yep also works really well with ragavan in the way that the green one doesn't because there's more blue ragavan decks yeah <laughs> <mostly>. i guess so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and that's yeah pretty good in like mirrors and stuff like bouncing their murktide regent is very good and yeah yep Whew, we made it did we do it yeah this set was actually i like this set a lot it's really cool yeah i i don't actually know what how the set will shake up or where cards will be good or how they'll be good which is pretty exciting <laughs> compared to the previous two sets where things were mostly cut and dry mm-hmm. like i didn't get a lot of surprises out of the, the previous two sets yeah. other than underestimating how impactful faceless haven would be <laughs> uh yeah but this card is or this this set is has a fair share of cards that are just like boy never it's got a lot of words on it and i don't know where it's gonna go never would have thought to put samurai on that artifact card that (laughs) draws you a card and then draws you another card i can't honestly can't wait for the alchemy version of this set oh yeah that's gonna be wild i'm gonna be angry at probably half the cards (laughs) and maybe like at least half of them will be pretty cool well, and hopefully it has, it. you know, one of the things that we can get angry about but then be fine with is, like, cards that really could work in Paper Magic and only are pretending to be online only. But the good thing is that you can just, like, slightly edit them and then print them out and use them in a cube if you like them, so. That's true. I haven't, I didn't do that with any of the Innistrad ones because there weren't any worth it. Yeah. But. but if there's anything cool, there's a decent chance that it'll just work, so. I'm not in love with Townraiser Tyrant. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we really need to stretch to put that into a uh, cube. The... That one's really easy to pretend it just works in paper because just like, put a counter on something or exists. whatever. Right, it just already <laughs> <Yeah>. exists. <laughs> Boy, that nerf is still hilarious. To, like, it just doesn't change the functionality of the card at all to make it only target non-basics. Nope. <sighs> but who cares? Kamigawa's coming. I'll play some limited. We'll see if I can be convinced to play some standard or alchemy or something like that, but I'll at least play with these cards some. I will too. I've already got a list of cards I want to try out in various cubes that I will have to figure out <laughs> how to edit down or acquire, but that's my that's my problem. <laughs> that's kind of the fun part, though. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks to everybody so much for listening. We do really, really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash MTG Grindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee's also on Twitter. You you can catch all my unhinged commander takes <laughs> at, at Lee McCleo. <laughs> Went off on a tangent uh, with the, the ban and restricted announcement for commander. A format I do not even play. <laughs> and d- didn't disagree with the contents of the announcement in any meaningful way. Like No. <laughs> that the actual like choice of not banning cards, inoffensive. But some of the language in the announcement 
really just wild really weird yeah but this is not what this podcast is about and also we're at the end recording it's, it's we're like three hours in yeah <laughs> so you know yeah. loopy if you if you want our commander takes we both tweeted about us you can go find them so some more flowery than others <laughs> <laughs> we have fun on twitter i oh, do yeah. i do at least i do too love twitter unironically yeah thanks so much have a great week Goodbye.